first is leadership is not a title. It's not a position. It's not about power and control. So the first thing is to focus on what is your mindset around leadership? Because at its core, what leadership is, it is a relationship between two human beings. And the quality of that relationship is based on the quality of the connection between the person who leads and the person who chooses to follow. And is to ask yourself, what's your motive behind leading? If you have a clear sense of purpose and you want to serve others and you're okay with sometimes being the least important person in the room, then you're probably on the right track. But if you know that the reason behind this is actually egocentric, if you're really just wanting to do this because you want a bigger office and a bigger paycheck, you have a different motive. And I would call you a 20th century old school leader. And <laughs> what we're seeing in the research is that people don't want those leaders anymore. I mean, those leaders are being called out. Yo, and welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast with me, Ryan Hartley. And you have joined the interview sessions where I interview successful and inspiring people about their heart and their mind. These interview sessions are brought to you by our good friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. My guest today on episode 85 is Alan Hunkins. Alan is the author of Cracking the Leadership Code, The Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. I really hope that you hear something in the next half an hour that will help you improve your leadership and the influence and the difference that you can make to those around you. Head to alanhunkins.com for more information about Alan and his story and how he can help Check out his book, Cracking the Leadership Code. And if you would like to join a community of like-minded people who believe in being better than they were yesterday and helping others do the same, come and join us on Facebook at We Are Always Better Than Yesterday and you will be made most welcome. Enjoy episode 85 with Alan. Much love. Welcome back to the Always Better Than Yesterday interview sessions with me, Ryan Hartley, and I am joined by my very special guest, Alan Hunkins. Welcome, Alan. Thanks so much, Ryan. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Good to see you. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your, your story so far with me. Sure, yeah. So it's interesting because certainly at the age of six or seven, I didn't think oh, I want to help people become better leaders. It's <laughs> not something that a six or a seven year old thinks about. That being said, if I look back, there's a common thread. I have always been really interested at the deep internal workings of what makes people tick. And I think a big reason has to do with my fairly unusual childhood. So I was raised in New York City. It's not unusual. I was raised by a single mom and my grandma, also not very unusual. However, both my mom and my grandmother are both Holocaust survivors. My mom was born in 1935 and she was in Belgium. And she spent from the time she was seven until she was 10 in hiding in the Belgian underground, hiding from the Nazis while her mother was in hiding and was actually captured and was they were reunited. They both survived the war. Almost everyone else in the family was killed. As you can imagine, that experience, that trauma shaped their worldview immensely and shaped how they raised me. So when we talk about things like an abundant mindset, didn't have it, right? Trusting other people, didn't have it. So 
there was this sense of kind of foreboding gloom and doom at home that was so different from my experience of going to public school, being with my friends and their families. And I think part of my life's work about figuring out why people do what they do what they do has a lot to do with trying to make sense of that original experience. So I've been on this personal and professional growth journey really ever since. In some ways, you know, I didn't have what I just described to you. I didn't really come to that conscious thought until I was about 22 years old. It was just mm. part of who I was. It wasn't like, oh, my parents are Holocaust. Mm -hmm. like, I didn't mm -hmm. think about that consciously until much later. But when I did, I realized that I had a choice that, you know, here was the legacy that was given to me and I could choose to unconsciously repeat that legacy or I could choose differently. And so I started mm. studying and reading and going to workshops and really doing anything I could to find out how can I connect with my own internal mission purpose. And from that place, find happiness and joy and then find ways to be of value in the world. And I found that actually the ways to most cultivate the happiness and joy and to be a purpose was to serve other people and actually help them on the same path that I was on, which is this path of kindling the fire, fire of brilliance. I believe we all have brilliance inside of us. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is learn how to unleash and grow and develop it. I love that. You and I are very, very aligned. Um, I too grew up as a, in a single parent family household and um, curious human being. I love to know what makes people tick. I used to watch far too many crime documentaries in my, in my kind of teens and, <laughs> and therein sparked the, the journey of kind of psychology for me. I just wonder what, um, whether you have considered what being raised in a single parent family has, has given you. It's always easy to focus on the, the absence of, of things, but I wonder what that, you know, had given you. It's interesting. I think it gave me, you know, it gave me this sense of that, you know, not having two parents. I mean, I had my grandmother who was in some ways my primary parent, but not having my mom and my dad. I mean, they divorced when I was one. I think what it gave me was this sense of you can be pretty autonomous as one person. Like I saw my mom was very capable. I mean, she was able to, she got jobs, she raised us, she got us to school, she did the best she could under the circumstances. And, you know, I talked to some people and they talk about, you know, well, you know, my dad wouldn't let my mom handle the finances or my mom did all the, like, and for me, I was like, I, I have a hard time computing. Like, I believe we're all capable of all these different roles and skill sets if we work at them. And I guess, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So my mother had to kind of basically play these dual roles in a lot of ways. And I think for that, I'm grateful for this sense of also, I don't look, I mean, I'm, you know, married to a woman and I don't look to her to kind of fulfill certain roles that I can't do. I mean, we certainly have talked about it, you know, with raising children and we were talking off air about raising children you know, trying to step in more. Now, granted, I will own as much as we strive for ideal of 50-50, it still is not working out that way. Um, but I'm working towards that direction, certainly a lot more than the previous generation. So for me, it's that autonomy and independence that I think you learn from seeing a single parent in action. How about you? Yeah. What do you think? Um, my mum gave me this unrelenting positivity and optimism, no matter how many jobs she worked, her mantra was, it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. And, and, and I've had to, throughout my late twenties, early thirties, just go, 
yeah, I'm quite positive and I'm quite optimistic. Where does that come from? And I've had to try and learn and unpick it in, in, in coaching and helping others. I've had to take steps back and just realize that it was just such an ingrained habit and, and a practice that we did. But yeah, this, this unrelenting positivity, optimism. And, and you know what? I think one thing it did give me was this, this, um, I talk about leading with love and my, you know, I have a big heart on my logo. It's about understanding that actually, whilst I didn't have a massive amount of love growing up, it's made me the huge heart on my sleeve, loving human being that I am now. That's fantastic. Thank you for mm. sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for asking the question. I'd just love to know when did, when did the concept of leadership become your vehicle and your driver to be able to serve others? It's a good question. So when I was about um, 26, I went through a pretty powerful personal growth development weekend where this was a weekend where I it was actually a men's weekend and it was uh, sponsored by an organization that's still in existence called the Mankind Project. Um, and basically it's about helping men to become more mature. You know, if we think about, you know, for thousands of years, tribes, you know, indigenous tribes have been initiating boys into manhood because they needed to have healthy, mature models of masculinity to support the perpetuation of their tribe and their species. And if you look at modern life, we really don't have those healthy initiation rituals. Um, we have a lot of unhealthy ones, whether that's hazing in fraternities or initiations into gangs. But so this was modeled on an, a classic initiation. And if you're curious, um, you can read a lot about this process. You know, Joseph Campbell writes about a lot of this in The Hero's Journey. He talks about this need for separation and then going through some challenge where you're forced to confront something that you don't think you can overcome and you overcome it. And then you're given a new name and then you are reintegrated. So for me, going on this weekend just blew my mind. You know, it was so powerful. And I suddenly went, oh, these were the men I've been waiting for my whole life. I realized you can be strong and sensitive, right? You can be firm and flexible. Like again, these paradoxes that we tend to put ourselves in these boxes, you know, particularly I think, you know, for men, it's so easy to, you know, what are the archetypes? They're very two-dimensional oftentimes. You know, we have John Wayne as the hero or the action figure, whether it's Rambo or Rocky. I mean, they're very two-dimensional. And so for me coming off this weekend, I noticed that, there was, to make the weekend happen, there was a hierarchy. There was an organization of leadership. And I realized the importance of that, that weekend showed me the importance of how leaders create the container in which magic can happen, right? So mm -hmm. when I say magic, that can be a work product, but it can also be personal transformation. And mm -hmm. that doesn't happen by chance. It happens with very clear intention. So what I like to say is all leaders create cultures some do it by default and others do it by design. And so that's when I got on the journey of, wow, leaders shape the culture. And what I realized, and you know, I've been studying this since, you know, Gallup, the huge research polling uh, organization found that in workplaces, 70% you know, of the difference between lousy, good and great team culture is directly due to the leader. So that's where I thought leadership matters. And that's what got me on the journey. Mm. I love working with the next generation of leaders. I, I, I come from a background in policing where there's this association with leadership being rank position, hierarchy, time in. And, 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 I, and I can see you nodding already. It's, it, it's far from that. It, it's leadership's a behavior and a choice. And I, I love nothing more than helping the next generation find the leadership spirit within them. For any of those developing leaders that might be listening to this show right now, what are some of the 
ways in which they can develop their own leadership. Well, I love what you just said, Ryan, that connects to this, which is first is leadership is not a title. It's not mm. a position. It's not about power and control. So the first thing is to focus on what is your mindset around leadership? Because at its core, what leadership is, it is a relationship between two human beings. And the quality of that relationship is based on the quality of the connection between the person who leads and the person who chooses to follow. Because I really see in this day and age, especially following is a choice. You know, we choose to give our talents on a daily basis. We, we rent them out. We give them on loan. And one day we give them and the next day we may not. So the first thing is to ask yourself, what's your motive behind leading? If you have a clear sense of purpose and you want to serve others and you're okay with sometimes being the least important person in the room, then you're probably on the right track. But if you know that the reason behind this is actually egocentric, if you're really just wanting to do this because you want a bigger office and a bigger paycheck and want to walk around with your chest all puffed up thinking you're all cool and great, you have a different motive. And I would call you a 20th century old school leader. And <laughs> what we're seeing in the research is that people don't want those leaders anymore. I mean, those leaders are being called out. You know, it's funny, I'm about to go on this, write this article, this rant, because, you know, today, everyone with a cell phone is a frontline journalist, and almost everything mm -hmm. has a digital footprint. So, you know, I used to be a CrossFitter, and I don't know if you know much about CrossFit, um, but the, uh, the CEO of CrossFit just had to resign after putting out some very horrifically racist statements, and then apologizing once his main sponsors quit, Reebok left, mm. stopped sponsoring. And he was hoping to apologize. But then what came out was someone had recorded a Zoom call from two days earlier where he had said some more horrific racist stuff. So it's this sense of, come on, leaders, don't you get it? Like you're being watched 24 hours mm -hmm. a day. So I guess the other piece I'd say, so think about your mindset and then also realize that as a leader, people are watching you. And it isn't about what you do when you think they're watching. It's what do you do all the time? What do you do when no one's watching? Because that's who you are. And I would say to that end, work harder on developing yourself than you do on developing your job, because that is the investment that is going to pay the biggest dividend over time. Mm, great advice. Obviously, this is all documented and recorded within your book. Talk to me about your book. Yeah. So the book's called Cracking the Leadership Code. And basically, you know, people said, so you just sit down, how long did it take to write it? And I say it took 20 years. To write it. <laughs> the reason for that is the book didn't just kind of, I didn't sit down and like come out with it. It actually emerged. So I've been working with leaders for 23 years. And what I started doing was working with all these groups as a trainer and as a coach, I started writing down stories and taking notes. And in 2011, I started a blog and the blogs kept building and building, and those blogs became the seed for what became the subtitle of the book, which is The Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders, which are connection, communication, and collaboration. So I found these were the three overarching themes that seemed like everything within leadership fit into one of these categories. Now, obviously, there's some interlap. So that's where the book came from. And for me, I was really interested, because you know, the fact is, you know. In theory, this stuff is really simple. We can talk about it, but in practice, it's hard. You know, my studies have found that only 23% of people think leaders lead well. I mean, that's a shockingly low number to me. And so I was really interested in, okay, so everyone can hear that it's important to connect. Got it. 
Thanks, Alain. Got it. You know, it's important that leadership is a relationship. Got it. And then the follow-on to that is, so you need to have empathy, right? Empathy is showing people you understand and care how they feel. People are like, great, got it. Super simple. Well, more research says that 92% of CEOs say their organizations are empathetic, but only 50% of people think their CEOs are empathetic. So the real questions, and this is what I want to explore in the book too, is why is it so hard? What are the things that get in the way? And that's where some of my research and practice and field work took me. So for example, with empathy, a few things that really get in the way, one is empathy takes patience. And when you're always too busy, you want to kind of drive through stuff. You've got results to deliver. So showing empathy means taking time and showing patience. That's one challenge. Another challenge is fear. As you know really well, Ryan, some people are really afraid of feelings in a professional environment. They think this is work. You need to check your feelings at the door which you actually can't do, right? It's impossible. You can't check your feelings at the door. Can't, you're not a robot. What you end up doing is you suppress your feelings at the door, which is exactly what's happening, right? 61% of the global workforce puts on a mask every day because they don't feel safe bringing their whole selves to work, which creates this low connection, low performance culture. And the other big thing that gets in the way of empathy is power. Great studies have found that the more powerful people feel, the less empathy they have. So the book explores not just the how-to tips and the mindset, but also takes a look at what are the, what I call the shadow principles. What are those things that are going to get in your way? Because they're going to show up. Because so much easier to talk about than to do. So the book is really a field manual on how to accelerate your leadership growth. I love that. You talked about old school leadership and it's something i've written down here in my notes i just want to know what does old school leadership look like what does it sound like what does it feel like yeah so this is a great question because like where does it come from to me too right so you know i think we recognize it where we see it well it comes from a guy called frederick winslow taylor who was the considered the father of the field of management now, Taylor was a mechanical engineer by training. So he saw the workplace, and at the time, the workplace was a factory, as an engineering problem to be solved. So now we throw around this term human resources. Well, mm -hmm. they used to be called human beings, you know, before. <laughs> but they became human resources, like this mechanistic part. And so Taylor, and if you read his book, which was a landmark in 1911 called Principles of Scientific Management, he writes things like, in the past, man has come first, but in the future, the system must come first. And he also described the ideal worker as someone who was, and I'll quote this because I could not make this up if I tried. He said, so stupid that he more nearly resembled in his mental makeup the ox than any other type, right? end quote, right? So the idea mm -hmm. was, it's just like, just shut up and do as I say, right? That command and control. And that could work in a factory setting where 95% of the workers were doing repetitive manual labor on an assembly line. And they really didn't want you to think for yourself because they just wanted consistency and doing things as quickly as possible in the way they prescribed. Clearly, that is not the world that we live in anymore. However, Taylor's legacy has continued. Turns out his work formed the basis of the curriculum of a little school you might have heard of, Harvard Business School. That was the founding curriculum of Harvard. And it spread and it was voted the number one most influential leadership book of the 20th century. So this is the legacy that we all have, whether we know it or not. And it's funny because I think all of us can resonate either at work or certainly as a parent or having had parents, which everyone qualifies in one of those categories somewhere, mm -hmm. is, you know, 
there's moments I find as a, I, I'm a dad of a 16 year old and a 13 year old, and I have to look back at some of my not best moments. But those times where I've resorted to the old school leadership, like just come on, let's go. Like I just like I'm less, because I'm the dad. That's why, right? That's like that's that's the, that's the opt out. It's because in those moments, I'm in a rush. I'm too lazy. I don't want to get down to their level. I'm annoyed, right? Those are the things that are going on. And those are the shortcuts that old school leaders take. Now, in the short term, you might get compliance. Like, come on, let's go. But, you know, as soon as you get to those teenage years, they start saying, no, I'm going to rebel, right? And we live in a world now where, especially in a workplace, people want more than just to comply. The fact is the median tenure of workers age 25 to 34 is only 2.8 years in any one job. So the fact is no one's expecting a job for life. If you can't give people a compelling reason to stay, that is, if you don't create a leadership relationship built on connection and communication and collaboration, people are going to go elsewhere because there's nothing keeping them from leaving. You have no thing, you have nothing holding on to them. So this idea of old school leadership is very much rooted in the shut up, do as I say. And people just don't want to stand for it. And rightfully so. I mean, it's time for that to change. And it's time for those old messages to finally die the death they deserve. And we can move on and start with something new that's much more useful. So Harvard take upon your book as their curriculum. What legacy do you hope that would leave behind? Wow. If Harvard took on, so for me, the legacy that I'm hoping that comes from this book, in fact, it's happening already, which I'm so delighted. So someone I don't really know well is an IT manager for a major manufacturing company in Europe. And he emailed me, he read the book and he said, wow, you know, before I read your book, I hated my job. I thought the problem was all out there. He's like, I had real problems with my performance reviews and my ability to manage, as he called it, manage my stakeholders, which is a fancy corporate word for saying, basically deal well with the people around me. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> he said, but what I realized was so much more was in my control than I thought that as humans in any role who are trying to influence, which I call leadership we have a choice about how we show up. So if someone's not being clear with us, we can ask for clarification. If someone's not checking in with us, we can stop and check in with them. He realized he had so much more power. He said his, he was ready to quit his job. And he said, I actually am loving going into work now. So my hope would, if Harvard took this on, you know, any business school, anyone, my hope is the legacy for this is that what we end up with is a whole new crop of, we'll call them new school 21st century leaders who are leading with purpose, who connect with empathy, who communicate with authenticity and collaborate with transparency because they realize it's the right thing to do. And the coolest part is not only is it the right thing to do because everyone says so, you will find you will get better results with less effort and less stress. And if that's not a win-win, I don't know what is. So <laughs> love that. Love that. My ethos is about helping people be always better than yesterday. I'm just curious to know what that phrase always better than yesterday means to you. Wow. What that means to me, it makes me think about, and I might've learned this from James Clear, you know, James Clear's his work mm -hmm. on atomic habits, always better than yesterday. He talks about, if you're going to start something, start small. He talks about flossing one tooth. Like you want to start flossing, don't floss your whole mouth. Just commit to one tooth. And I have found that this idea of 
the power of progress and measuring small wins. Like what can I do mm-hmm. today? And then start to work that habit to the point where it gets automatic and then add the next thing and then the next thing. You know, it's so easy. I know for me, it's so easy to continue on and not think back to how far I've come. And to so what's great, so always better than yesterday in some ways is A, it's being aware, right? Where are you today? So whether it's writing things down, journaling, putting it in an app, somehow keeping track of your progress and then setting some intentional you want to call them goals, intentions, different people will resonate with different words, but setting some goals, like what can I do today that is more in line with the person that I am and want to aspire to become? So that's what being always better than yesterday is about for me. So small love wins. That. Yeah. Love that. How or who listening to this should make contact with you to see how you can help them? Sure. So if you're interested in learning more uh, on numerous fronts, if you want to learn more about the book, that's probably the easiest place to find me as well, is you go to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. While you're there, you can learn all about the book. You can actually download the first chapter and have a preview of the book. That connects right to my alanhunkins.com website. And from there, you can learn all about the training, consulting, speaking, and coaching work that I do, both with individuals, teams, and organizations. And if you have any questions, because you've listened all the way to the end of the podcast, you are now part of the end of the podcast club, you can direct me, email me. And my email is alain at alainhunkins.com. Any questions you have around leadership or anything else we talked about, please email. I do respond to every single one of the emails that I get as part of that end of the podcast club. So that's where people can reach me. I love that. I love that. Would you do me the honor and the privilege of leaving us with a final thought from your good stuff? Yeah, I would say final thought. Um, Number one thing that you can do to develop yourself personally, professionally is find people around you who will give you honest, constructive feedback to help you get better. We humans are notoriously bad at seeing ourselves objectively. And so you're actually way better off getting that feedback from five or eight or 10 other people about what you do well and what can be even better, which I love instead of saying what's bad, say like, what would be even better if I did it differently? It frames the conversation in a much more generative way. So number one tip is seek out feedback from people who will give you the honest truth. Now, if you want some love, buy a puppy. But if you want feedback and grow, <laughs> talk to those people. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for, for your time and your energy and, and sharing your, your story with our, our listeners. So thank you. Ryan, thank you. It's really been an honor and a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks. And there we go. Episode 85 with Alam Hunkins. I hope that's really inspired you in your leadership development, leadership journey. And as always, I like to reflect on one or two things within the the interview session itself. And I'm going to pick on this one phrase that um, you might have missed. And I loved what Alan said about leaders creating the container with which magic can happen. It really creates a nice visual idea around the impact of of a leader and and being able to create the environment create the container with which magic can happen bringing the best out of all of those around us fantastic 
uh, interview. Really loved Alan's Alan's heart, shall I say, for for leadership. And another thing I reflect on, can't believe I opened up with, all right, Alan, (laughs) you will always get real from me. Um, I can't believe I did that, but we had a laugh about it after the interview itself. And yeah, love to know what's really resonated with you um, through this interview session. What is the one thing that you're going to take from it and put into practice? I'd love to. I'd love to know. Share it on social. Share it in my inbox. However you like to do it. But also consider passing this on to that one person in your network that you feel would really benefit from hearing what Alan has had to say. Grateful that you've made it through this far. As Alan said, part of a unique club. I love you. I appreciate you, and I'll speak to you again soon. Much love.